Do you believe in ghosts then? I'm not sure. I'm 90% convinced, 95% convinced that they don't exist, but older family members claim to have seen ghosts in their lives, so part of me doesn't want to piss all over their beliefs. What about you? Probably about the same. I've known people that claim to have seen ghosts. I've been in situations where I could have, but I never have seen anything. I'm probably 95% sure that they don't. My wife claims uh, she used to work when she was a student in Dunedin in New Zealand in a steakhouse, and it used to be a morgue. Part of the steakhouse was a morgue. All of that part of Dunedin, you've been down there, I think. A lot of the old buildings were repurposed into shops and restaurants and stuff over the years, but originally there was a lot of hospitals and morgues and stuff there. She claims that she saw a ghost out of the corner of her eye when she was working with someone at the back cooking steaks, I think. Did it have a white sheet, two eye holes? (laughs) Well, you can never tell down there because it's a student town and you know what the Scarfies are like. They're they're all over the place. It definitely could have been a Scarfie. But I, I don't want to doubt my wife, especially being she'll probably listen to this. So she says she saw a ghost and I believe her, but personally I'm not entirely convinced. Yeah, 100%. I had a friend who I used to work with who claimed he'd seen four ghosts. And one of them was the ghostly image in a forest of King Charles I. And he was, had his head tucked under his arm. Did the head say anything to him? I did ask him. Like, what happened? Did he speak to you or anything? His Royal Highness have any words for you? Oh, could he talk? He had his head chopped off. (laughs) Logical. If you're skillful enough to come back as a ghost, surely you're clever enough to work out some way of communicating as well, beyond shitting people up in forests. Yeah, you'd think the laws of physics and life wouldn't matter to a ghost if his head was chopped off, it could still talk, surely. Hmm. It's usually the way in the films and that, isn't it? It is, yeah. I mean, the... The ones that scare me probably the most when I see them in fiction are poltergeists. Oh, yeah. In the 1960s, there was one such story, and this was before Amityville Horror and also the Enfield poltergeist, but this one didn't have a true explanation, and it was in my home county. The Pritchard family from Pontefract lived on a typical Yorkshire estate. It was semi-detached houses, like two houses joined together, and theirs was in the corner of the village on top of a hill. Knocking started happening on the wall, pools of water formed, lights started switching on and off, and they ran out of the house. They come back in, they called a plumber, the plumber couldn't find anything wrong with the pipework. The paranormal activity continued at pace for the next two or three months. It becomes so common and scary that they actually gave the poltergeist a name and called him Fred. (laughs) Why Fred? Well, I don't know. Just a good Yorkshire name. Fred. It was later coined the Black Monk of Pontefract. But at the time, yeah, it was just Fred. Fred disappeared for a little while after they, they came back from holiday. It's probably bored. I don't know. Maybe he went to annoy somebody else. But on his second reappearance, he'd become a lot more sinister. He started throwing the daughter off the bed and just being a generally violent pain in the ass. He also manifested himself in a black robe, although they never saw his face. So why, uh, why did he get so pissy the second time round? What happened in between? Fred never spoke, so we don't know if he had any huge axe to grind. But after his third or fourth reappearance, he vanished and nobody ever saw him again. But 30 years later, when somebody was researching what might have happened, it turned out that their semi-detached house was built on the site of the town gallows. In the 16th century, a monk was hung for raping and murdering a girl during the reign of Henry VIII. So that's how they explain Fred. It's a coincidence, but it could be true. How did they 
prove that the house was they had, where they get the records from. I assume old town maps and what have you. But there was signed affidavits by police that they actually saw activity happening. The neighbours did too, and they even brought in holy water to spread around the house, and this really pissed Fred off, and he started to paint upside-down crosses around all the walls. Unexplained, I suppose. Uh, I wasn't there, so I, I can't say that they didn't see what they claimed they said. I'm quite interested as to why he suddenly turned quite bitter and angry. Maybe he found out they were Newcastle supporters or something. <laughs> yeah, I think that would definitely put him into a sulk. Have you visited any supposed haunted houses, haunted places? I have a couple. Um, one was one where I grew up back in New Zealand, Dunedin. There's a, a large house. You may have visited it yourself. Uh, that was built in the late 1800s, about 1871, by a chap called uh, William Larnick. He was a sort of an entrepreneur and a politician in the early colonial days of New Zealand. Where was it in New Zealand? Down in Dunedin on the peninsula. They called it a Larnock Castle these days, but at the time it was just this house. It was quite a big complex for the area. had uh, something like 40-odd rooms, a ballroom, staff, servants, etc. So it was known as the castle, but it's not a castle, obviously. It's more of a manor house, if anything. And they built like a big ballroom as a 21st birthday present for his favourite daughter, Kate. Uh, but she actually died not long after, when she was 26 of typhoid. And she's one of the ghosts that supposedly haunt this ballroom in this part of the house. There's a lot of tragedy that followed this family. Uh, his first wife, Eliza, also died, and she haunts the castle. She's known as the Grey Lady, I believe. And Larnock himself went on to uh, have a bunch of financial and personal setbacks and actually committed suicide in New Zealand Parliament House in October 1898. So you can see there's a lot of potential ghosts here. Was he trying to create a big show of himself? not really sure why he chose that particular place to do it, but that's what he did. So it's kind of led to the mythos of the Larnack family in, in this big house. Castle kind of went into disuse and ruin after all of this sort of stuff happened, but eventually it's been brought back to its former glory and it's sort of become a tourist area. And I, along with a lot of kids, used to get dragged there. And when I was at high school, we went on one such trip. It was about 15, I suppose. And we'd all heard the stories of the ghosts and everyone was on the lookout. And you know what kids are like. You're being shown around these sort of places by tour guides, but you try and sneak off. You've probably done the same. Hang out with your mates and look into places you're not supposed to be doing. And one of my friends, who will remain nameless, disappeared from the rest of the group and got bound sometime later and dragged down the staircase and brought back to the group by one of the tour guides and uh, he was looking a bit sorry for himself and tour guide was pretty furious and later my friend got us aside and we said what what happened to you he said i've only seen that ghost i said which ghost he said the young one the daughter i said kate 26 he said yeah she tried to have her way with me (laughs) like what like how well this is what he claims happened he'd snuck off into one of the bedrooms and was having a wee look around, and she appeared before him, and she got a bit suggestive. You know, young chap he was, 15, 16, probably 16, to make it legal. I don't know if there's laws about ghosts. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, she starts making suggestions and tells him to take his pants down. Oh, no. Yeah, at which point the tour guides finally caught up with him, come in, (laughs) she's legged it. (laughs) Obviously not wanted to get caught so he's found there standing there looking suspicious with his pants down in this bedroom (laughs) 
and uh, tried to say, she tried to molest me, <laughs> and the chap was having none of it, but he assured us that that's 100% what happened. <laughs> so he wasn't doing anything else? He wasn't caught white-handed? No, it was definitely the ghost. She had her way with him. Oh. Uh, but there's been lots of other stories. The grey lady, quite bitter, used to push and bite and scratch and attack anyone that come in there. There's multiple stories of these. Uh, but one of the biggest uh, stories was back in 1994. They did a play at the Fortune Theatre, which is another really old and supposedly haunted building in Dunedin called Larnock, the Castle of Lies. And they invited 100 guests to this party afterwards in the castle. And supposedly... Just as the guests arrived, a storm blew up out of absolutely nowhere, which could never happen in Dunedin, as you know. The weather's perfect down there. Oh, yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah. Sunny, dry, never rains, no hail or anything. So it just came out of nowhere. And the smoke of the fires blew back down the chimneys and stung everybody's eyes. And uh, hail the size of golf balls started crashing through the iron roof and all the doors just mysteriously started opening and closing and it got really cold again cold in Dunedin it's just not you know close to Antarctica it's not known to be cold down there never windy either never windy in Dunedin and just remember that all of the houses and manors are really well built and there's lots of insulation so <laughs> yeah never be chilly down there yeah for the record this is a lot of sarcasm yeah so anyway, all this has happened, all of these kind of mysterious things, and one person has come forward and said that during the play, just as Larnock pulled the gun to his head and was about to shoot, a blinding light shot out and lightning strikes started hitting the Fortune Theatre. But yeah, I think that might be a coincidence. I don't think ghosts can control the weather if they do exist. That's a big step up, actually, isn't it, from pulling someone's pants down? <laughs> well, I just, yeah, I think there's been... A lot of angry happenings with this family. The ghosts are quite furious. It's a common theme, isn't it? Why are ghosts so angry? If I died and I come back as a ghost, I'd be quite happy that I got to still experience the world. Yeah, I would too. In fact, I've only ever heard of one happy ghost. Which is? Casper. He's friendly, isn't he? That goes to prove the point. They actually have to state that he's a friendly ghost because most of the rest of them are spiteful for unknown reasons. Well, I can understand them being a little bit irritated, but I don't know why they're pushing people over and trying to molest innocent young lads. Oh, the Black Monk of Pontefract. Hmm, very weird. But yeah, so that's Larnock. There's a lot more ghost stories around where I grew up, but that's the big one. Do you think curses count as ghosts? Because it must be some kind of evil energy doing these things. Yeah, I guess it's supernatural, isn't it? I suppose they count. Why? I remember watching and enjoying the Poltergeist films when I was younger. They haven't necessarily aged like a fine wine. But one thing I do remember at school was Heather O'Rourke, who played Carol Ann. She died at the age of 12 after suffering a heart attack. And she was one of the main stars there. And then it spawned into a whole Poltergeist curse because her sister in the film also got murdered by her ex-boyfriend. And Julian Beck, who played the Reverend Kane in Poltergeist 2. And he was a very creepy character back then. Do you remember him? Yeah, he looked like a skeleton. You know, God is in his holy temple. I believe you have an Indian living in the house. You sound like Jon Snow. <laughs> <laughs> no, I want to go to Winterfell for some cheesy chips. <laughs> Why they give him an accent from a Yorkshire council estate, I don't know. But anyway. I looked into these curses because, I mean, there was various other things as well. 
I moved on to The Curse of Tutankhamun. Yeah, I just watched a, a recent miniseries about this. Carry on. I saw that one too, about Howard Carter. It's quite good. Yeah, quite good. The Ferris curse goes that anyone disturbing one of their tombs is destined to suffer disease or death. And when Howard Carter's team uncovered the tomb of Tutankhamun, quite mysteriously, and sometimes not so mysteriously, a lot of people involved in that project and a lot of the early visitors died. And I'd like you to take you through the list, just because some of the names are worth mentioning. You ready? Yeah. The first one was Lord Carnarvon himself, the financer. He was bitten by a mosquito shortly after the tomb opened, and he was shaven one day, nicked the mosquito bite by accident, and he died four months later of an infection. It's definitely supernatural, that. That couldn't have happened any other way. Carry on. Okay. George J. Gould I, American visitor from the French Riviera. He died the same year after developing fever during his visit. It's unfortunate. This one seems less supernatural, although the perpetrator could have been possessed. Prince Ali Kamal Fahmy Bey of Egypt died in the same year, who also visited the tomb, was shot dead by his wife. I remember reading about a lot of these, and there's a lot of coincidences, and you could definitely say the curse was involved. But it was quite a dangerous place. It was, yeah. Disease, and I think there was a lot of insurgent groups. Colonel the Honorary Aubrey Herbert MP. <laughs> <laughs> it was, uh, he was Carnarvon's half-brother. And I swear, somebody must be fucking with the wiki page here, because listen to this. He became, <laughs> he became nearly blind and died on the 26th of October 1923 from blood poisoning related to a dental procedure intended to restore his eyesight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, <laughs> I think someone's gone on a few venos when they started updating that page. Yeah, how does a dental procedure restore your eyesight? I'm not quite sure. Yeah. It's a weird one. Are you convinced by any of this? There's far more. I'll just take you through these. Yeah. So Archibald Douglas Reed, a radiologist who x-rayed Tutankhamun's mummy, died from, it says, in quotes, a mysterious illness. Sir Lee Stack, Governor General of Sudan. These were all within a year, and everyone who visited. And it seems like it's a lot of the British aristocracy. He was assassinated while driving through Cairo. I'm not sure about the killing ones. I don't know how they link them to it. That just seems like... I suppose they're trying to say they only got shot because of the curse, I guess. Yeah. Arthur Cruttenden Mace. (laughs) (laughs) These names. Brilliant names, aren't they? He's a member of Carter's excavation team and he died from arsenic poisoning. The Honorary Mervyn Herbert. (laughs) Canavan's half-brother. He died of malarial pneumonia. The next two are actually family members. Captain the Honorary Richard Bethel was Carter's personal secretary and he died in his bed in the Mayfair Club a victim of suspected smothering. So, you know, that could have been a spirit. You can imagine the sheep wrapping around his face. Like Final Destination. You're supposed to die, yeah. Murder. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, predestined. And his father, Richard Lutherall Pilkington Bethel. (laughs) (laughs) Stay with these names. I know. He he threw himself off a seventh-floor apartment. So, you know, maybe he's up there having a cigar, nightcap, lamenting. The ghost has hurtled him off the top. Yeah, he's lamenting the smothering of his son. And all of a sudden, like a, a banana skin mysteriously slides by his foot, he goes to step back. Yeah, the longer this list gets, yeah. I enjoyed just reading the names more than I did the myth, but yeah, what do you think of that one? I'm not convinced. I think there's a lot of coincidences, and they were in a very dangerous place with poor healthcare systems. 
I shouldn't say I'm entirely against the idea. There is a lot of coincidences and a lot of people to die, so you could potentially think that there might be something to it, but I think, yeah. I think there was just quite a lot of murders in there, which doesn't help the case, does it? Yeah, and diseases, you know. These are foreigners in a foreign land. Whenever that happens, you're going to be exposed to illnesses and diseases that you're not used to. Medical science today is a lot better than it was in 1923, and what they were thought was a mysterious illness, I'm sure we now know is some kind of tropical or mosquito bone or waterborne disease. Still a better mummy story than the Tom Cruise film, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of curses, it just reminded me of a cursed slash haunted building that I actually worked in when I was living in the UK. Do you remember how I spent some time living on the East Coast in East Anglia? I do. That's known for some hauntings. Yeah, I took a temporary job originally just for a few months, but I ended up working there for about a year. And it was in an old, very old building that had been turned into a council office for Essex and Suffolk Water. And I was doing data entry and stuff while I was studying in there. And the first day I was working there, I got told that the place was haunted because it used to be a old nunnery that then became a... Um, what are they called, like boarding school for Christian children, I believe. So the nuns had lived there first, and then it had become a boarding school. Obviously, they had refurnished and redone the inside, so there wasn't bedrooms and stuff. They turned it into floors and offices. But the downstairs, which had apparently originally been the chapel, was a call centre. And so the story went. The nuns didn't want to leave this place, but they had been forced out. I'm assuming by the government, I think that was the official story. And as they were being dragged out, one of the old nuns, who was blind and very old and angry, she'd lived there her whole life, she cursed anyone that decided to enter this building, which is completely against anything to do with Christianity, especially nuns. They don't curse people, but this is what happened anyway. And many years later, this curse and the hauntings began. I was told all sorts of stories in this very shady office, beginning with in the call centre at the end where the cross had originally been. No matter how many times they painted over, apparently the stain of the cross would always come through, and people claimed to have seen very angry and bitter ghost nuns throughout the building who would get up to all sorts of hijinks and angry bitter things to the co-workers. Firstly, I suspect it may have been cheap quality paint, but I don't get why the nuns are haunting there, because they're left alive. I mean, I know the bitter they got kicked out, but... Yeah, I guess they've died and then come back to haunt as part of this curse. It's not clear, but anyway, things would happen in this office that were unexplained, that were always blamed on these ghosts. I admit 100% I never saw one, but some of these things were mysterious. Large volumes of stationery would go missing. Machinery would be... <laughs> Yeah, you can see where this is going. Machinery would go missing or break down. Photocopiers or shredders would... You would come and find a shredder. Someone had tried to shred a cardboard box, for example, and jammed in there. And you would ask around, and a young lass once, she said she actually had seen one of these nun ghosts shoving cardboard in there to... I'm assuming just trying to derail the whole operation. (laughs) Yeah. I was just thinking, why would they steal post-it notes, pencils, pencil sharpeners, pens? I mean, what's, what's the motivation? It would stop us from working, you see. All of this stuff was going missing. And nobody wanted that at all, did they? 
boxes of tea bags. They went. Ghosts just <laughs> threw them out, I guess. I don't know. One of my mates, he was working in there, and you know how you sort of get those people bringing like boxes of chocolate bars yeah. or candy bars? And it's sort of uh, an honorary system where it says put in a quid or two mm. and you can take one. Well, he claims to have been standing by a box of one of these and watched one of these ghosts pinch a Twix bar. He chased her down the corridor and into the stairwell where he watched her scoff the whole Twix bar down. <laughs> wait a minute, wait a minute. If he watched her scoff the Twix bar, did it get all crunched up as it went through a ghostly teeth and did he see it descending into a body? I assume that it just went transparent, but the wrapper was still there. That's all that was left. He was good enough to bring the wrapper back. <laughs> Did he have any chocolate around his mouth when he was telling the story? He may have. Personally, I think the explanation of what was happening is people had the story of the ghost and the curse and they used it to be, how can I put this, thieving gobshites? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I love it how the ghosts stop them working and it also takes stuff like chocolate bars out. Yeah, phone lines would go down, computers would turn off, you know. I can't do any typing. I bet a lot of it was early Friday afternoon, too. Yeah, I couldn't get back into the office after lunch, my card reader wouldn't work. That's Why do you smell like beer? <laughs> yeah, the ghost, the ghost pinned me against the wall and made me drink eight pints. Yeah. After 12 months, I personally never saw any of these hauntings or spectral events, but I did see the aftermath, and my expert opinion was that it was caused by a bunch of lazy people who wanted <laughs> to blame ghosts. Yeah, no, I think that's fair enough. So, do we have a conclusion on ghosts? Uh, I'm still not convinced. Your stories haven't convinced me. My stories haven't convinced me. I would need concrete proof in front. I would need a ghost to come into my house, walk up into my pantry, steal a Twix bar, and eat it, and laugh, and then leg it before I would believe it. Which ain't going to happen anytime soon. But yeah, I'm like you at the end of the day. I need hard evidence to believe in things. And I know there's millions and millions of first-hand witness accounts of ghosts happening, but I probably would have to see one or at least have some solid footage. However, that being said, Dawn is out at a music festival at the moment, and we've got a huge cake in the fridge that we're supposed to share. Your nun story has given me a good idea. Shh.